You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to say we have Andy Rubin on with us. He is the founder and CEO of Trove, which powers circular shopping for leading brands such as Levi's, Patagonia, REI, Eileen Fisher, Taylor Stitch, and more, providing the white label technology and logistics capability that let them control their own e-commerce marketplaces and customer relationships. Andy has more than two decades of leadership and experience across retail, consumer products, strategy, and sustainability. He previously served as Walmart's first chief sustainability officer and led the retailer's global e-commerce strategy and private brand and omni-channel initiatives. Andy, thank you so much for being on the call with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm so excited for so many reasons. I mean, you've had such an amazing career, but also what you're doing today with Trove. But before we dive in deeper to that, can you give our audience a deeper introduction to Trove and why you started the company? Sure. You know, the the idea that we would get more use out of these incredible products that we make is not a rocket science idea, right? It just makes sense. And the fact that a lot of these items sit in our closets year after year that someone else could be enjoying even after we're done with them just makes sense. And we realized at some point that the way that would happen would be these brands and retailers that we already shop at, these brands that we love, they would start making it easier to hand these items back for gift cards. And they'd make it easier to find these pre-owned items either online or in stores that people who aspire to the brand could now be a part of the brand. Right, could now access a Patagonia jacket for themselves or, you know, put their kids in an Arcteryx jacket for the winter or ski season. So it just made a lot of sense. And while that makes a lot of sense, it turns out that the work of this, the doing of it has got a lot of complexity. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And so we started a company to focus on making that more doable for these brands so the brands can really shine. No, absolutely. Your lead-in led into a lot of the questions I'm going to ask you. <laughs> so, so, so that's good. I mean, let's start with resale as a whole, right? So it's one of the fastest growing segments of retail, right? It's growing 25 times faster than the rest of the industry. What is fueling the growth? Why is it even stronger today? Sure. I mean, there, there are three core reasons. The first is value. I mean, it's which has always been there, right? Everybody you know, everybody would prefer to own something or wear something or enjoy something nicer so long as they could afford it for the same money. The second is, um, it's referred to as ESG or sustainability. But the idea that you can have something new, have something that you're looking for without feeling like you are overwhelming your closet or your life and that the footprint of that is more thoughtful, right? That maybe it's a piece that has already been worn by somebody else or after you're done with it, we'll go to the next owner. And the third is just a more fun shopping experience. And what I mean by that is whether it's on a branded site or a third-party platform, this idea of finding a piece that you're excited about while still getting two-day shipping, right? No one wants to like find a piece and go through dozens of bins, but the ability online or on a phone to find a piece you're excited about that you're excited for it to arrive, but then arrives in two days, it's just, it's a great experience. No, absolutely. For sure. So at the time where COVID's really like stressed wallets, right? And we talked about resale, it's giving shoppers a way to get into these premium brands they otherwise wouldn't have. And you kind of mentioned that when you talked about one of the reasons you started Trove and giving that 
ability of consumers to be able to own the brands that they aspire to own. How does that model then benefit on the brand and retailer side? Um, so brands, you know, what brands have always, what brands are known for is designing and producing thoughtful pieces, right? Pieces that, um, that people appreciate and treasure and love. And so a brand's ability to, you know, say not only if you're not happy with it, bring it back, right? When you buy an item, but, you know, a 21st century version of that is when you're no longer using it. If it's a quality item, bring it back. And on the other side, what could stand behind a premium item more than saying, you know, here are the new items. But honestly, if, if you're looking for Levi's in the trucker jacket, they get better with time. So here are the, you know, Levi's calls it secondhand. Here are the secondhand items from Levi's. And some of those are, you know, more interesting and more valuable than now with some wear. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, brands benefit by new customer acquisition, loyalty, revenue that otherwise goes to these third parties and the ability to deepen the brand, right? More brand credibility and more brand meaning. No, absolutely. Do you feel like they have better ways to track that? attribution, you know, so because in the past, I feel there's hesitation. We talk about some of those in the industry where I, I might not want my items to be on those platforms. But now that there's a better understanding, well, actually, it's a great way to be discovered or to be introduced to a customer I wouldn't have had before. Well, I actually think one of the one of the important reasons that brands need to be owning this space right? And to have a brand strategy around this is because their items are going to be on these third party platforms regardless of their involvement. And what's important, and, and no matter, for most brands, for premium brands, that's going to be unavoidable. Right. But just like direct consumer, your items might appear on Amazon, right? Or might appear on, you know, a third-party site. I think it became pretty evident that you still need a direct consumer channel online, right? And you need to own that relationship. And even while your items might show up on a third-party the more customers you can keep in your brand closer to you, the better off you are. So it's, um, I think it's actually a risk for a brand yeah. in this day and age not to be owning this, not to have an offering to, to buy back these items and not to be selling, you know, no matter how that's done in stores, online, et cetera, not to be selling the pre-owned items. Right. So as we have this trend, right, and you're mentioning the more the brand can kind of own the experience, the better served they are, then what is that formula of success from a technology logistics management standpoint? I mean, obviously partnering with you guys, but <laughs> but how does that how does that process work? How do they partner with somebody with a tech company like you? How does that get off the ground? How is that integrated? How does that position them for success? Yeah, absolutely. So what I feel very strongly about is that brands in the end, brands are the winners here, premium brands. And if for brands to be in that position to set themselves up right, they've got to own this experience, like you just said. And now brands can do that by building this technology, single skew technology and trading technology themselves. What I would recommend is because it's a new space and because there's a lot to do and to learn, a partner like Trove, who offers those capabilities and can do it 100% white label, which means you know how a brand would choose to price the mm -hmm. trade-in, what, what gift card size, depending on the item, what that in-store experience would be, which items they're going to choose to then resell on their own, and which ones they might you know path to different highest use avenues. So the ability to make those decisions that are really brand decisions, yet to be able to outsource this technology is, you know, allows a brand to be in the space in a few months, not a few years. And if a brand was to build this themselves, 
the technology alone would be 20 to $30 million of capital investment before they're learning with the first item. And rather than do that in a new space, with the ability to do it white label, I would strongly recommend a, a brand partnering for the capabilities, but getting the learning of what their brand, you know, how to, how to make the most of their brand in this fast-growing sector of retail. Yeah, so that's interesting. So how do you get those data insights or, or you know, where you're able to work with your client and say, here are the products that we recommend that you sell? Is it a constantly yeah. learning machine? Are you kind of iterating as you go with them as well? It is. So as we engage with a new partner, so there are brands out there that we are excited about. They tend to be premium brands that have a lot of love for the brand post the mm-hmm. first sale. They tend to have a pretty good direct consumer business, sell a lot of their items at full price in season, the healthiest brands. So as we work with them, we it, it's between you know two and three months of onboarding. And in that first period, we spend time, you know, we, we've obviously seen this movie before um, <laughs> launching these brands. And so we, we spend time making those decisions. What are the premium quality items? What are the characteristics of these in the best condition? What do we call that? Mm-hmm. And then we take those decisions and it's our job to operationalize and ex- you know, execute those decisions. But then as we go post live, every month and every quarter, we're stepping back to work with the brand to say, Hey, I think we can be more generous in the take back policy, or I think we can offer more for this condition grade of this particular subcategory. So we're constantly refining and building with the brand. And one of the advantages that we bring, and I think it's it's a critical one, if you're going to build a business here, you've got to have the instrumentation and the data. And the technology that we've built allows us to provide that for the brand. And it's all their data, right? We don't own any, there's nothing in our model that owns the customer. The brand owns the customer. But we do have the instrumentation to be able to say, here are the opportunities to grow the program. In fact, the brands that we work with tend to not only have more profitable programs with us, but they can be 15 to 20 times larger mm-hmm. than companies that are not working with us because we can provide them the data back to constantly be learning and optimizing a program. That's the way you really build this as a business, not just about buying and selling used items, but the idea is to make the brand stronger, the business mm-hmm. stronger. This is like a new tool in the toolbox. It allows the brand to shine more. Right. No, absolutely. So when you talk to your clients and you have them think about the ROI, right, of the investment, some of the things I know you mentioned and actually a recent write-up you talked about, I think it was 65% of customers they see end up being new customers than they ever had before once they utilize re-commerce. So that seems like True. a significant amount of uh, opportunity there. It's one of the best customer acquisition for younger, more digitally savvy customers. This is one of the best customer acquisition tools I know. On the flip side for loyalty, we also see customers that trade in items tend to shop twice as frequently and spend twice as much with brands. So they tend to be in the top two deciles of brand loyal customers. And this creates a stronger bond, more traffic, more ticket with existing customers. So it's also an incredible loyalty driver. All of this, I mean, the brands that we've worked with for several years are making equal or better margins on the used business than their new business. So there's also money to be made. This is probably the most direct, most powerful sustainability move that a brand can make where they're not just, you know, not just putting a poster up of what they believe, but they're taking an action that invites especially younger customers, but all customers to participate in a more circular model for the brand itself. 
and they can garner all the benefit of the brand stories, right? So what the trade-in story is, what the experience is, um, as can, you know, customers continue to, to, to interact with the brand. So it's, it's actually surprising to me that every brand is not doing this today. Yeah, I mean, I think more and more will probably start dipping the toes into it as they're seeing consumers continuing to favor sustainability as a motivating factor for the purchases they make and the brands that they align with and who they want to be loyal to. Um, I also think in addition to the acquisition stat that you shared, you also made a comment too about thinking about better utilization. I think the quote you gave was in Retail Touchpoints. I'm going to read it. We can have a better utilization of a car that sits idle 92% of its life. We can get more utilization out of a used Levi shirt. Yes, perhaps it's, it's the same if, if you, in a, in a broader sense of one of the macro shifts that we are living in right now, it is this idea that technology allows us to get better utilization out of the assets that we spend so much we spend energy and uh, materials in creating in the first place. And so those idle assets, getting more utilization from an economic standpoint, getting more utilization out of idle assets allows value to be created, right? It's a source of value creation. Now, the huge asterisk, right? So this future is better for everybody, better for us as customers, better for the planet, better for brands, so long as you're a brand that produces items that people want you know, a year after someone buys your items. And that is just not true for every brand. And that's not true for every retailer. So I think that they're, you know, the the people that do not favor this future are those brands that probably have less reason for being five or 10 years from now. Those brands need more reinvention. But for the brands that do have demand, the brands that, you know, we, we all know of, many of them we support, this future for them is fantastic. Because, you know, a Patagonia and Arcteryx already makes incredible items. These new models just allow more of us to access more of those items more of the time. You know, who, who wouldn't want to wear a, a, a Tom Ford shirt, right, compared to, uh, compared to a Gap button-down? You know, I think everyone would clearly, at least I would, I can speak for myself, I would clearly choose the Tom Ford shirt. Right. So how do you think, too, this technology opens the possibilities in physical retail? Because I think that's such a big complexity with the one-offs, you know, the real, real, I think's done a good job kind of mastering that with the um, proprietary RFID system they have to help them track items in store. But as you partner with brands and they think, okay, how do I think of this in my in-store experience? How, yeah, how does one your of partnership the, help? One of the advantages the brands we work with have is they've got physical stores. So I think that I can't remember how many stores the real, real is opening this year. I want to say it's 15 um, I know Rebag just, you know, announced opening of half a dozen stores. Patagonia's got 150, right? So it's when you think of the brands and the the partnerships that we have, there is such an advantage um, and ease for all of us in just bringing an item back to an REI co-op. There's going to be a point where, you know, you would never walk back into an REI without looking in your closet first. And finding a tent, finding a shirt, finding a piece of gear that you're not using right now, and you're going to bring it with you, and someone else is going to benefit from that piece of gear. And you're going to get a gift card for those items standing right in the store, and that is going to allow you to get what you need now for the trip or the experience you want to have now. It's going to create loyalty for REI. It's going to then be posted online or in stores, have more interest for them as a retailer. Brands get better, retailers get better, and we all benefit. I Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's that flywheel effect. Where do you think we are in education for consumers and how could that get better? 
as much as it's growing, I think there's still a big learning curve. And even the picture you painted of the possibility of where it could go and how organic and fluid that becomes. Oh, let me go in my closet first, see what I want to swap out, then go to the store. Yeah. So we as a business look at two different adoption curves. We look at the customer curve, and then we also look at the industry and the company or the brand curve. And so for an industry like outdoor, the customer is, I mean, I think across the board, everyone, it's early across the board. Let me start with that. For this trend, this trend is going to continue to play out over the next 10 to 15 years. So overall, we're early. However, in outdoor of the industries, outdoor is fairly far along in the customer awareness and acceptance and utilization. And the companies are fairly far along. In industry like luxury, customers are fairly far along, but the luxury players themselves are spending time kind of waiting and seeing. So we look at both of those. A way to think about that from a brand or retailer standpoint is if you're not with any of these trends, if you're not leading the trend, there really are only two choices. You're either in the front of it, off the front or falling off the back. And what's always difficult in retail, especially, is to call the exact right timing. Mm -hmm. And so it really is, I think, a a situation where if you're not early, you're you're late. And we are far enough along right now that every brand should be in the space and should approach it in a way that makes sure they don't put the brand at risk, right? That's most important. But without doing that, the only learning you can really get is by being live and being in market. You've got to have that learning. And if we project out five years from now, the way we talk about where do you buy uh, an Arcteryx jacket today? Do you buy it from REI? Do you buy it from Arcteryx? Do you buy it from Nordstrom? Like you've got choices and those places compete for where you buy it. Five, six years from now, we will, we will be having the same conversation on what you do when you're done with it. Do you hand it back to Arcteryx? Do you hand it back to REI? And so for brands to be involved now, to be seeding the idea with us that when you buy from a brand like Arcteryx and you're done, you hand it back to Arcteryx. And it is for smart brands, it's time to be seeding those ideas because now is when you've got the most advantage to getting ahead of what is coming. Mm-hmm. And by, by being the place and being the brand that customers naturally think of bringing the items back, you're going to advantage yourself um, as this plays out. Yeah. No, if I look like, if I look at your partnerships, right? they've made it, the communication around it is this, this attentional program that we've created that you could be a part of like Levi's, it's Levi secondhand with Patagonia, it's worn wear with Eileen Fisher, it's Renew with REI, it's, you know, REI use gear, it's Taylor Stitch, it's the restitch program. So there's a whole branded aspect to this. So it feels intentional mm-hmm. to the consumer. This is something I could be a part of. Absolutely. And I, Going forward, I, I think that that was more necessary three or four years ago. So I think when, um, you know, earlier in the industry, if you look at kind of three years ago to three years from now, we will see more integration going forward. And you start to see it like on Patagonia, when you shop for a new item, you routinely get a pop-up that asks you as a customer, if you thought about buying used, mm-hmm. that's awesome. What a great integration uh, for them and their brand. You know, we will see more integration moving forward. REI just did the same thing with Trade-In. REI said, that's a member benefit. So as an REI member, you're a member for life. You join. It's got its benefits. One of them is Trade-In, right? And so join, right? Become an REI member. Become part of the co-op. So we will increasingly see brands do more integration. And they'll likely have less need to separate, in that case, a program and name it as a sub-brand. I think we'll see more programs that are just... You know, you, you, if you look at Tesla, you've got new Teslas and new Tesla, you know, used Teslas, and you can buy a, 
a new Model 3 or a used Model S. It doesn't matter. You're joining the Tesla brand. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. What makes a good partner for you guys? We spend a lot of time on this question. That's a luxury for us right now, given the space. And we tend to see things like a high percentage of direct consumer sales. We look at the price of the items in the secondary market compared to the primary market. And we tend to see a brand we'd want to work with keep a large part of their value. So the secondary market you know, might be 75% of what the, the item was originally in price. We tend to see a high percentage of sell-through at the original season. Uh, they're brands that have a long-term commitment that see the strategic value of resale. They tend to have experience with innovation in other areas, mm-hmm. being bold. They've got a commitment to sustainability and realize that the future, you know, it's not just going to be a take-back box that don't really involve the customer, just allow people to just drop something off. It's going to be more involved in that. And it's actually a business model change towards circularity. Those are some of the characteristics we look for. We mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with the leadership team, making sure that there's alignment. I mean, because it when we partner with a brand, we don't do it for six months. Mm-hmm. We go in to make the brand incredibly successful. And so we, it's important that we find brands that at the go are ready for that. And then your what is your normal counterpart? Is it the the merchandising team, the technology team, the IT team? Great question. It you know, we have started in so many different places from the innovation team to the sustainability team to the merchandising teams. Ultimately a program like this, we always end up at some point in the in the early conversations with the CEO and an executive team. Because you are involving supply chain and branding and stores and e-commerce, warehouses and distribution, sourcing. Like, so we end up across so much of the business that ultimately you are making a total business to, you know, decision. There are advantages to where it lives. One of the most important aspects from an early team is if it's the right, less important than where they sit in the company, it's the right person in the company. Mm-hmm. They tend to know enough people in the company that they know where to go for answers. So for example, when we're dealing with customer service, they know just the person to talk to, or when there's, you know, a question about, you know, something about the supply chain or about sourcing or about a product, they're really well connected in an organization. They tend to have a history of being, you know, the first on the ground to do something big and bold inside a, inside an existing or kind of heritage brand. It's interesting too, because I feel like there are more brands who are kind of like interested in it, but they don't all have that internal infrastructure that's needed really to to yet take this on to the next level outside of partnering maybe with a third party reseller to sell it for them. It um, you know, initially when launching, a full time resource on the brand side is really helpful. Mm-hmm. It has worked with part time resources. Over time for a more established brand we work with, they may have fifteen or twenty people internally that do nothing but re commerce now inside the company. Wow. And what they find is as they move into the space, these are programs that are tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. Again, they're more profitable Mm -hmm. than um, mainline business. They've got customer acquisition benefit, loyalty benefit, and they're new areas of business. And so they tend to create an ROI that budget cycle after budget cycle, these teams tend to grow. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that across partners. They can start small, right? I mean, they can start with half-time person. Yeah. So, but as we're talking about, so the the industry significantly growing, consumers are adopting it, learning, adopting more, passionate about it. Brands are dedicating more resources. So what's next? Like, where do you, where do you see this going? 
every brand that is a worthy brand will have a program themselves. And increasingly, that program doesn't mean they'll be the... That program might involve selling on third parties. It might involve buying back from third parties. But brands will be... The brands that do this right are in the driver's seat of those decisions. And in today's, you know, in 2021, to imagine that customers are, are going to all of a sudden stop wanting this, that it all of a sudden won't be the fastest growing channel in retail is, I think would be, um, would be foolish at this point. It would be like in, you know, 2007, saying maybe e-commerce wouldn't really be a thing. Maybe it was a fad. Mm-hmm. These are, these are sizable shifts. And so as, as brands have these programs, we're going to see more integration over the next few years, more focus on, yeah. on take back and more innovative ways to take back items to make it easy for all of us. And ultimately, a brand will be thinking about two things. One is where every item they've ever made is today, right? Yeah. It's not just the items in stores and warehouses, but most of the items for longstanding brands are in our closets. Like, where are they? And then number two is where, where they're going next. And as those two things happen, this will create more value for quality brands. It will come at the expense of less quality brands. And we will all get access to better, fewer, nicer things. No, absolutely. Um, I love that. And I, well, I look forward to that. I've done stuff. I'll be honest. I've done stuff with ThreadUp. But it would be... And I'm getting my little points and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> But, yeah. the, but you know, um, I would be excited if I could be doing that with my favorite brand. And I just know yeah. and I'm, I'm doing that trade in. It's this organic thing. And because two seasons later, three seasons later, you're looking for that refresh. Yeah. So it's so intuitive to to behavior that's already happening. It's just. And I'm, I'm actually wearing a shirt. I was I had to think for a minute if it was the shirt I'm wearing is from Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Their uh, resale program that um, was in New York City. That's uh, was shut down right in the beginning of just unfortunate time with COVID, but um, was in the Columbus Circle store. Um, but I had to think for a minute if this came from Nordstrom or the Real Real. Okay. And this is a rag and bone shirt. It's um, secondhand. It's fantastic. And any day of the week, would I rather be wearing this shirt or any? You know, I, it's a fantastic shirt. And the question will be: I wouldn't go back to making a decision where. I wouldn't be wanting a rag and bone or theory shirt or Tom Ford shirt. And so I would only shop with whether it's the real real or Nordstrom or Mm -hmm. REI or a player that had a program like that. Yeah. Because I, I just, it turns out I like to wear nicer shirts and I think we all do. (laughs) Well, you deserve to, but again, it's all about the customer benefit too. So it is bringing you that that benefit, which is important. Um, yeah. Well, this is good. I mean, it's so exciting what you brought to the market, where the industry is going. I mean, we're just still at such early stages of um, this evolution. So um, thank you for taking the time for being with us today. Everybody, again, this was Andy Rubin. He is the founder and CEO of Trove. Thanks for your time. Yes, thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic.